Hi, and welcome to Shadow Talk's weekly intelligence summary track, where our team of analysts dive into the top threat intelligence stories each week. To read their full findings and analysis, make sure to visit resources.digitalshadows.com. Now here's your host, Harrison Van Riper. Hey, everybody. We're back again with another weekly intelligence summary update, uh, episode four. With me this week is Alex Giraku, uh, officially the most tenured guest for the show. Hello, hello. Uh, he's also in the office, so I can just kind of grab him whenever I whenever I need him to do a <laughs> podcast. So that's that's nice. Uh, what's up? How are you? How's uh, how's Zuko? Good. So uh, the weather hasn't been too amazing here, so he hasn't been able to get as much exercise as he wants. But we're uh, hoping to take him out to the dog park today after work. Yeah. So Zuko is Alex's Shiba Inu puppy, and he's very bitey. Yeah, he's about six months old, so he's still in that bitey phase. <laughs> <laughs> that we love so much. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So then also joining us this week is Jamie Collier or the Collier Jam on Twitter. Uh, Jamie, how is Gino doing? He's good. He had his uh, first walk in the snow today. Um, although, sadly, here in the London office, you know, it's supposed to be snowing in London. It's just kind of quite gray and rainy. So uh, <laughs> a bit sad about that. That's a bummer. Yeah. And, and so what, what kind of dog is Gino again? Because I only just remember him as spaghetti because we always call him bolognese. Well, he's a, he's a bolognese, which isn't to be confused with bolognese, but uh, I can understand how someone such as yourself could make that mistake. <laughs> yeah, no. So, yeah, I mean, just spaghetti. I mean, it's just, you know, it, it works. Spaghetti dog. Spaghetti dog. Anyways, uh, all right, so let's jump right into it. So, Alex, we've got some APT news. What's going on? So research has been published about an Iranian cyber espionage group. So APT39, they're primarily interested in stealing personally identifiable information or PII. And like other Iranian espionage groups, they've been primarily targeting um, institutions in the Middle East. So telecommunications organizations, government organizations. And so all of these organizations can have valuable PII that can be used to kind of facilitate additional or future attacks. So that kind of sets them apart from other Iranian threat groups. So like APT-35, APT-33, APT-34, a lot of them have been more focused on stealing intellectual property or conducting disruptive attacks or doing disinformation campaigns. So it's really interesting because they've been targeting these organizations and some of this PII that can relate to client lists, um, employee details, all of those can be super, super useful. And, and what's interesting about this group is that some of this activity was previously attributed to the Chafer threat group. And so researchers kind of noted that there was this overlap in saying that with a pretty high level of certainty that these two groups are one and the same. And it's always interesting when you look back at some previous activity that you've had tracked or that's being tracked by multiple security vendors and compare and contrast and see to what extent and to what level of confidence you can say that these groups are one and the same. So, yeah, so it's interesting that you mention, you know, APT 34, which is commonly kind of known as oil rig. Um, you know, th- that is what sets these this group apart is that they're not really conducting uh, destructive attacks. That That's what comes to mind when I think of oil rig. So in addition to the Middle East, what other countries has this group been observed targeting? So even though they've primarily targeted uh, Middle Eastern organizations, primarily in countries like the UAE and Saudi Arabia, uh, attacks have also been identified in places like Spain, South Korea, and the US. So generally, Western or Western-aligned countries have been primary targets. 
There's also an interesting question on why uh, Iran has so many now different uh, threat actors that are targeting kind of similar sectors, similar regions. You know, this could be because they're building in this kind of sophistication and they're building different hubs of expertise. And that's why you've got threat actors now targeting specific uh, sort of things such as PII. Um, it might also be different parts of the Iranian government building up uh, different kind of threat actors. But at the moment, we just really don't know. Yeah. And that's one of the problems with with attribution, right? Because at this time, we're really not sure if these are separate groups that act totally independent from each other or if they're just different arms of a centralized organization, which we've seen in some other countries. Before. Right. And I think out of all the kind of well-known uh, state-based threat actors, um, Iran probably has more blurry distinctions between threat actors than some others. Right. And they all use fairly similar tactics. I mean, one thing that we've noted between some of these threat groups is that they use a mixture of custom malware in addition to these publicly available tools that aren't inherently malicious. So what's next for this group is that they're likely to continue to conduct attacks if they are indeed linked to Chafer or if they're the same group. Chafer has been around since at least 2011, 2014. So these groups are persistent. Um, they've been continuously demonstrating that they're capable of increasing their levels of sophistication, creating new types of malware, uh, different attack vectors, as well as establishing persistence in target networks. So there's currently no indication that this kind of activity will stop. But what might happen in the future is that as these attacks continue, researchers will be able to identify more concrete links between these kinds of groups. Hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think Iran as a kind of nation state um, threat has really evolved in the last few years. Um, especially. So it's really interesting. Uh, so yeah, so definitely some cool research there. Uh, I definitely recommend everybody check it out. Also to see those kinds of incidents, you can test drive Digital Shadows Searchlight for a few days and just go to our website to sign up if you're interested in that. Um, all right, so then moving on to the other highlights for this week. Jamie, hit me with the high-level info for the authentication loophole that was found at GoDaddy. Yeah, so this was quite an interesting one. There was an authentication vulnerability uh, that applied to users creating free trial accounts, uh, allowed them to add themselves to a domain they did not own, uh, provided they were assigned the same DNS server, and send email from uh, these domains that they did not own. So, you know, you can have all these sort of uh, trusted, uh, established uh, domains, um, and it allowed threat actors to uh, send, you know, send emails, um, increase their perceived legitimacy, um, of kind of phishing campaigns, for example. One of the hijacked domains was uh, tied up in a kind of bomb threat hoax, and that's clearly uh, dominated the headlines. But there's also an interesting question about what's not been reported. Uh, 5,000 of the hijacked uh, domains have been linked to a limited number of addresses in Russia. Um, and it's certainly plausible that a lot of less exciting but highly effective phishing emails have been sent uh, from these addresses. Awesome. Super interesting. Uh, so, Alex, what's up with Google Cloud? Yeah, so this is a bit similar to the GoDaddy thing in the, in the sense that threat actors are abusing these legitimate platforms. So there were a few phishing attacks primarily against financial and government organizations, and they were abusing Google Cloud's um, App Engine program. Uh, specifically, they were abusing the Remember Preferences option in PDF readers. And so they sent these malicious documents um, with email file extensions that redirected the victims to the Google App Engine. And... After that, it triggered the automatic download of some malicious Microsoft Word documents, which in turn downloaded Cobalt Strike, which is a widely known popular penetration testing tool that has also been 
frequently exploited by threat actors. Dreaded Cobalt Strike. The dreaded Cobalt Strike. Strikes again. All right. So that's what happened with Google. Uh, Jamie, bring it home for me. We saw some new malvertising targeting Apple users. Yeah, exactly. So this was a campaign that occurred in mid-January, uh, but around 5 million emails uh, sent out each day targeting uh, Mac users, as you said. Um, used some quite interesting steganography uh, techniques. Uh, used HTML5 to create a canvas object. This is kind of typically used to render or enhance a kind of graphic in an image. Um, but the data in that uh, canvas object processed into a string, and that formed the malicious code that was used to infect users with the Schleyer Trojan uh, that was used to install adware. Um, so we've kind of seen steganography become more prominent recently. Uh, it kind of really just reaffirms that criminals are going to continue evolving and also thinking creatively. That's awesome. I love steganography. I think it's so cool. <laughs> I don't really completely understand exactly how they do it, but it's very cool. All right. So so looking ahead, I'm going to stick with you, Jamie. What can we expect over the next couple of weeks? So uh, there are two big stories, I think, that are worth tracking. The first is the political crisis in Venezuela. Uh, still not quite sure where that leadership contest is going. Um, and I think what we're going to see on the back of all the unrest is uh, hacktivist activity targeting probably both sides. Uh, previously seen Op Venezuela, the kind of hacktivist campaign, uh, become prominent and likely to continue going into the next week. Secondly, uh, still a lot of controversy about uh, Huawei uh, in the United States. Um, clearly also tensions there between um, Huawei and Canada. Um, not, not entirely clear where this is going to go at the moment, but you know, certainly plausible that the Chinese government is going to start to uh, respond to some of this unrest. Yeah, for sure. Good stuff. So shameless self-plug for me. Uh, I did an interview with Alex Johnson at NBC uh, this week about the Huawei situation and what it could mean for technology like 5G moving forward. So we'll link that in the show notes if anybody's interested in that. Um, all right. So coming to a close for this week, go to resources.digitalshadows.com if you want to download the full intelligence summary and read about all the stuff that we just talked about today. Uh, this week's excellent question for everybody that nobody knows about again because I wanted to keep this one a secret. Um, <laughs> who would win? in a battle, 50 tiny Zuko's or one massive Gino? How big are we talking about? I mean, like, massive. Godzilla-sized? I don't know. Sure. Zuko's, Zuko's chomps are pretty pretty Ex- scary, exactly. so he's got that going for him. And if there's 50 of them, I don't know. Yeah. Jamie? I don't know. I just think uh, Gino is a straight-up alpha male, so I'm going to back him any day of the week. <laughs> Good answer. Uh, yeah, that's a pretty good answer. I think that that, that fits. So my, I think, I think it'd be a vicious, vicious battle. But I, I wouldn't, I want, I wouldn't want to be there because I think I'd be too sad about whoever won. Because then it's like fifty Zukos yeah. are gone. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I know that had nothing to do with cybersecurity, but I, I, you know, had to take the chance with Zuko and Gino owners here. Uh, thank you, listeners. Thank you, guests. Keep an eye out for the Puppy Battle Royale. Uh, talk to you all next week. Bork night. Bork night. Oh, I like that. <laughs> <laughs>